0: Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women, Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Jemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today I am thrilled to introduce to to you our new guest, Dr. Tony Baer. Dr. Tony, a distinguished sexologist who is fervently dedicated to empowering women, helping them embrace their authentic selves and delving into the intricate tapestry of human sexuality, with an impressive track record spanning more than 25 years. Dr. Tony has immersed herself in the world of research, mentorship, and personal exploration. Her expertise shines brightly across captivating domains such as the psychology of gender and sexuality, the intriguing realm of kink, and the nuanced cultural context of identity development. But that's not all. Dr. Tony's true passion lies in guiding women through the extraordinary journeys of self-discovery and sensual exploration. She firmly believes in the perpetual evolution that shapes us all, and her mission is to be your steadfast companion as you navigate any obstacles that might be hindering your progress by fostering a positive mindset and nurturing growth. Dr. Tony is here to ensure your transformation is nothing short of remarkable. So get ready to dive into a riveting conversation as we explore the multifaceted dimensions of human sexuality with the remarkable Dr. Tony Tune in, listen closely and be prepared to be enlightened and inspired. Dr. Tony, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. This is uh, exciting, and we're going to hit some topics I've never shared in public before today.
0: And how do you feel about that? Are you ready to open up?
1: I am ready to open up. I I share this information in my workshops when um we have a door closed and it's private, and um and we create a safe space to do so. And you've created a safe space to do this online. So um, I'm ready. That's beautiful.
0: That is really my intention. Because by creating this safe space, we are actually inviting in our intimate conversation victims hiding in plain sight who are searching for light, for hope, for an identity, for recognizing themselves in other people who can be coach or guides or mentors for them. This is why we dare to open up first, show them the past, and now they can reciprocate. That's the point.
1: It's beautiful. It is beautiful when we can stop hiding secrets and holding them because there's a penalty we all pay physiologically emotionally and spiritually by holding those secrets so being in the open and sharing about some of the most negative events in our lives um it's it's a healing experience in itself
0: It, it truly is it truly is and what i notice is that when we dare to speak up and say those things
1: we would never
0: dare to say to anybody, anytime, and we won't want to die with those secrets to make sure nobody ever knows about that. The fact of speaking up is so freeing because now you are empowering yourself and you are disempowering the secret over you. Now you do not have to hide anymore. Now you do not have to think and second-guess yourself to make sure, can I say that? No, I cannot. Eek. Oops, I think I left a hint. <laughs> we really? don't need to do that anymore. It's just in the open. And now if someone comes back to you and try to shame you on that, you just own it and you just let them go their way. You know what? I don't ask you to love me. I just ask you to respect me. This is who I am. This is my experience. If you don't like it, just pass on. That's it.
1: And I'm so with fun. you. Yeah, 100%.
0: So, Dr. Tony, do you want to share with us the kind of abuse you experienced in your life?
1: Sure, sure. I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse that occurred from my earliest memories um, until about 12 years old.
0: So you grew up with that damaged... And distorted and twisted, lost your innocence so early, and had to be in adulthood without understanding what it was about.
1: Right. It it made the whole part of growing up in your sexuality confusing. It um, um in my case, it was a, an uncle, so it's a family member. So to have a confusion over love that's healthy and l- love that's distorted, if not um, evil in many yeah, evil ways. And perverted. Yeah. And um, you know, you can't ignore the fact that your brain develops until you're 25 years old or so. Right. So as your brain is developing and synapses are connecting You have um, uh, a barrier inside your brain stopping uh, neurons from hitting from one another, like to keep secrets from a young age, um, to be hurt that much at a young age. Um, it, It affects your cognitive development, your emotional development, and makes, um, I would say, contributes to ones disliking their own body, feeling that they're not enough. I mean, women in general have all of those challenges, but I think it's absolutely acerbated by, by the abuse as you, as you grow up.
0: Absolutely. And sadly, so you are not the only one. That is one of the recurring themes that molestation as a child. Right. And I don't understand why even society keeps it secret and why it's so... What I do understand is that parents don't know how to deal with that when they are informed.
1: Right. I did not inform my parents until I was 21 years old. Wow. And... um there was an event that my parents felt guilty about until their dying day that uh in elementary school i was in a special university um laboratory school it was called that actually had a two way window like a mirror kind of like a um in the teacher's office they could work inside this office but still see this large classroom and When I was in fifth grade, I was uh, nine or 10 years old. My parents were invited in to watch my behavior. And what they witnessed was someone who was so shy and so introverted that it was abnormal. And the teacher was showing my parents this. And they shared this story with me after I told them about the abuse Um, I knew nothing of this. And there was another child in the class that was acting out and bothering people and loud and just, you know, stereotypically bad, right? And my parents got angry at the teacher and said, my daughter is sitting there concentrating, working on her homework, doing exactly what she's told. And this other student um, is acting out. Um We approve of our daughter's actions and how she acts. Um, but it was a time where the teacher called them in to show that I was abnormally shy. And it was a time where they could have intervened. And while I was not abused for many years after that, my two little sisters were sexually abused as well. And that was an opportunity that could have um, stopped that event from happening. Um What I did is when I got to junior high school and then high school, and the reason it stopped was because I volunteered to be in every musical group and every sports team there was. So that way, I didn't have to go down on the weekends because we would go down every weekend to visit this aunt, uncle and cousin. and it, it helped me avoid the molestations. It also helped me um, achieve a lot <laughs> in in high school, in school, and do well. And what ended up happening, and i I draw a uh, parallel between, is I became a workaholic. I became somebody who, always is busy, always working, always working in school to get good grades, to um, be a good girl, which is part of the story, right? And also to achieve. That followed me through my whole life. And one of the things I do to help other women is we take a look at that because what I was doing was avoiding being in my own body and feeling feelings. And interacting physically with my partner or partners at the time. So um, I don't believe the abuse affects all of who we are, but I do believe there are connections throughout our lives that we carry the rest of our lives, no matter how much we've healed or not healed from the experience. Wow. Wow.
0: It is true that the impact is much deeper than what we want to agree and recognize. And it's only afterward when we have evolved and matured enough to really take a look back at our youth, our teenage years, our behaviors, stories that we remember and we say, wow, I was really and you can put description of your behavior that may or may not show the hurt, the molestation, those connections that cannot be done, all this empathy that is missing, because it's like, if I have empathy, I'm going to feel others and they are hurting, I'm hurting. If everybody is hurting, it's not going to work. So I may better not hurt and let them deal with their pain and move on.
1: Right, right. Right. And the reason I told my parents at 21 years old was because I, and it truly was an accident. I slept over at my boyfriend's house. I had slept over many, many times and we were sexually active. I was 21. He was 27. And um, I honestly fell asleep because I would always drive home I lived in the same town as my parents. I was 21 at the time and they knew that I slept over at his house and my father who is, was so close to me um, closest person in the world to me referred to me and called me a slut that hurt me so bad that that was the event that um, uh, encouraged me to, to uh, tell them about the abuse. Because the last thing I was, was a slut. You know, different um, adolescents and uh, young adults react in different ways to childhood abuse. Some are very sexual. Um, my two younger sisters were. Um, I was uh, practically a nun. You know, I was <laughs> Non sexual or asexual, I was more interested in putting the ball in the basket than I was um, doing more than making out with a boy at the time. So, you know, we all have the ways that we react to it, but being called a slut was, I just felt grossly unfair. And it was my boyfriend who became my husband um, that was the first person I ever told about the abuse ever. So uh, he was part of the beginning of my healing journey. And I just felt like it was unfair to characterize my staying overnight. And believe me, I did stay overnight at different times, but I was more coy when I was, you know, um, (laughs) trying to sneak back into town without my parents noticing. But when I fell asleep on the chair, I couldn't really cover that up because it happened. Right. So yeah, it was, um, actually, and this seems strange to some folks. I did not even know I was molested until I was 18, which sounds bizarre how the brain can shut off hurt and how you can disassociate over time. And it was in college at 18, I walked through a seminar about rape, heard the seminar, and all of a sudden, at one time, all of the memories flooded in at one time. And I was away at college, and I i actually, the only thing I could think about at that time, I was like walking around late at night, and I didn't know what to do, it was the only time in my entire life that I had suicidal ideations. I didn't know how to get rid of the pain at that moment. And, um, some memories have come back, but not all of them. If You think about 12 years of abuse and I have maybe five memories. Um, majority is not there. My little sisters, one sister, another little sisters, they're in their fifties. Um, uh, one sister has absolutely no memories of childhood at all. Like I'll tell a story. Oh, you remember when you were an acrobat and you were at dance school and XYZ happened? No, yes. no. Mm-hmm. So it affects all of us different ways. The two younger ones were ultra sexual. I was asexual and um, I had no memories till they were all triggered open. Well, a part of them were triggered open and one sister has all the memories and is in a lot of pain for it. And has, we've all done counseling. um, Mm -hmm. But as I said, you carry it with you the rest of your life in different ways.
0: You do. (laughs) There is a moment in time when you are so done with feeling this emotional pain that you carry along, I understand that you thought about calling it a life and checking out, but somehow you did not do it. What was that transformation moment for you that allowed you to actually stay alive and start to heal?
1: Well, I would say there were two um, rather than one different levels. Um, my boyfriend who became my husband, um, he was someone I could talk to about this and that wasn't a shift, but it was, um, a healthy plateau for a while. The marriage didn't last for other reasons. I actually probably related in some ways, but, um, the first shift, major shift, was when I was a school teacher and coach. And um, they asked, the administration asked if any of us wanted to write up a course for the summer and make some extra money. And as a beginning teacher and having lots of debt, I volunteered. And it was an introduction to sociology class that I taught and a social problems class that I taught. And I put in um, a unit or two, uh, one on domestic violence and one on childhood abuse in these two courses for high school seniors. And it was healing doing it and making, you know, doing the research and making the lessons. It felt good to make a contribution, but what was most fulfilling and the first kind of switch into turning everything around was the high school students that came forward in class, before class, after class, and my ability to be on something we call the SAP team, student assistance program. We don't solve problems for students, but if they come to us or we know we refer them to specialists who are uh, experts in that area. And through my 10 years of teaching high school, I was able to refer many students to the appropriate resource. And that was the first big switch in changing being a victim to being an advocate and not only just being a survivor, but being someone that was helping making the change that I wanted to see in the world.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So, that is how you actually change the narrative. Change started to heal, starting to address what hurts so much yeah. and make it an asset. And this is probably why you then learned about sexology, about that link between sexuality, psychology, human connection, relationship. So another question for you. One of the things that also stood out during our intro call is your coming out from being interested in men to being interested in women. How did that come to life and how did that start to exist in your experience?
1: Right. Um, The second major kind of shift that happened actually wasn't about me. Um, It was about my little sister and she had attempted suicide in high school. And the reason she Attempted suicide is she was coming out gay. Now, she was from a very liberal family, and all of us are not prejudiced about gay people. Um, But it was so traumatic to her and the possibility of not being loved by family and friends that she took uh, that action. Now, I found her and we took her to the hospital, and um, she's fine. but that gave me the drive to get my doctoral degree in gay youth and gay youth coming out. And what are the best ways to help kids uh, kids, meaning adolescents to understand their sexuality, deal with their sexuality in a healthy way and become loving, healthy adults. And um, that was like the second major shift. Now at this time, My husband and I are not getting along. This is all happening at the same time. And he told me I was too sexual, that I wanted to have sex too much. I wanted to have sex maybe once a week, maybe twice a week. Now, mind you, I'm in my 20s, right? So I think that's fairly normal. Um, And he said, you know, you're going to have to take care of yourself. He meant masturbate. okay, masturbation is healthy, but for me, it was confusing, not traumatic as much as confusing. It was traumatic earlier in life because whenever I masturbated my entire life, I thought of women. And my uncle who molested me, molested me many times with pornography there and there were pictures of naked women. So the most traumatic events in my life had naked women in it. And I avoided naked women, like in the showers and gym class, I would not take showers. I was stigmatized for that by the other kids as being stinky, you know, and but I wasn't I didn't feel comfortable getting naked with other people, let alone other women. Uh, be not because I wanted them or I was sexually attracted to them. I was terrified of them. Um, In fact, I changed my major from physical education where there were a lot of gay women to history because I was so terrified. Um, Later in life, um, my husband is telling me I need to masturbate, which means I think of women, which I think is bad. Like I'm putting like, so I went to a therapist and she said the most interesting thing and I still repeat this with my clients is um sexuality is a continuum of expression uh, there's some people that are totally straight or heterosexual and there's people that are totally gay or lesbian and there's a whole bunch of people in between that are bisexual or have ideations or fantasies like there's all sorts of sexual ideation and expression she said however let's talk about how your husband is treating you He's treating you as a child, giving you permission or not permission as if you can be sexual. And all the other things that are happening, he is emotionally abusive. And we talked about emotional abuse and what it looks like. And to put the sexuality part on a burner someplace, like a back burner, because I was unhappy married to him. And I divorced him. When I was single then and separated and then divorced, it took uh, seven years to get divorced because it was he was difficult. Um, so I was sexual when I was separated before I was divorced, after I left him. And uh, it was actually my little sister uh, who showed me and took me to the gay bar and <laughs> started to socialize with people. And I had sex with a woman. And when people ask me... What is my sexuality? Are you a lesbian? Are you well? You're not a gold star lesbian, and that's a terrible expression. Because you slept with a man. I said, Well, this is this is who I am. My husband was so good and bad. He was a 10 out of 10. He was gorgeous. He was um, sexy. The sex was great. And then they said, Well, why are you with a woman? I said, Well. When I slept with a woman, I realized that the scale doesn't go to 10, it goes to 20. And that doesn't negate that he was a 10. I just prefer women. Now, some gay individuals are not very happy with me because they, the way I say it, is it a choice I made. Others say well, it's innate at birth. Well, it might be innate at birth for me. Um, I have a lot of cousins that are gay. Maybe there's a gay gene in my family. However, because of the trauma that I experienced as a child, who the heck knows what I am innately, right? I know that sex felt good with a man and it feels good with a woman. Um, How is the abuse involved with all this? Some people think, well, you were abused, so you hate men, so you're gay. I don't hate men. I love men. I just prefer to sleep with a woman than with a man. That's all. So, you know, at that time of my life, I was 30, 29, 30. I had slept with men for like 10 years and I slept with a woman one year. So I was pretty straight if you had to like make a definition, right? Now I'm 60. I slept with men for about 10 years and women for 20. So I'm pretty gay at this point, right? (laughs) So, um, am I bisexual? I don't know. I'm monogamous. So, um, that's the way I explain that story is, um, being expressing myself as gay and being in a committed married relationship with a woman is how I live and what I enjoy, um, is the abuse related to it. Um, not a direct relationship I can see. I met someone that makes me happy and and I'm with her. But, um, you know, who the heck knows, right? Who the heck knows?
0: Right, that's, I mean, I think it is an absolutely beautiful story and I absolutely love how you bring those different ideas. And it's not even non-judgmental, it's just embracing Diversity, embracing who we are, trying to not put us in a bi gender straight strict hell or heaven kind of, of world because it's not that.
1: Yeah, I think people do that so that they feel comfortable. A lot of people are very uncomfortable with uncertainty, mm-hmm. and um, and that's the main reason like i could be retired right now i am retired as a university professor i could be sitting on my rocking chair just writing some books and traveling but i work full-time 12-hour days um, working with women uh, being there talking to them um, as a sexologist as a life coach to uh, help them learn some of the things that i learned way before I had to make a whole bunch of mistakes to figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, who are you? What are your fantasies? What does it say about you? Um, I have had the personal experience and the research um, to help guide me. And I love helping other women heal, but more than that, um, become self-empowered to create the sexual relationship that they dream of. because it can be a reality. And whether you were abused by an an ex-husband or wife or molested as a child, not only can you heal, but you can create the life that you want. And sometimes we just need a friend that knows a little bit of stuff to get there.
0: That's totally right. It's amazing. Usually we hear, okay, get the business of your dream. Okay, get the life of your dream. Okay, so now let's get the sexuality of your dreams. That's what you bring to really like shine a different light on us.
1: We have the innate ability to experience pleasure. And someone took that away from us. And I believe that sexual pleasure is one of the many pleasures that exist in this life that give us joy and happiness. And we only live once. So I always say to my clients, what are we waiting for? You know, what do you want? Let's not spend all our time. I am not a mental health therapist. My wife is, And God bless her for that. because therapists talk to you about the hurt, the pain, the healing, and the past. Yes, you talk a little bit about the future, but I like to coach. The reason I coach is we may talk about your abuse once or twice, but my focus is, okay. Now what are we going to do? And let's go grab the life that you want.
0: That is the biggest difference between a therapist and a coach. Yes. And then there is a difference between the coach and the mentor, where the coach has learned to ask you questions so that you move forward. And the mentor has been there, done that before you, and is coaching
1: you. Right. That's same past. Right, and the goal is a transformational journey to the desired outcome Mm -hmm. um, that you want.
0: That conversation, even though it's heavy in the terms of talking about that molestation, that is not talked about enough, but it's super light in terms of Breaking the silence around that, saying it has happened, it is, but it requires serious healing. You need to really do something about it. It's not go; the pain is not going to go away by itself unless you address it. And that nice. is important to notice and understand. Forgetting about it will not make it hurt less. It will bring that over, it will postpone Mm. the time when we are going to actually look at it and actually heal it. And the time of the healing may hurt because you're going to remember those past trauma. But that hurt is liberating. Because now Mm. you can put a new meaning to that event. And transform your entire present and future because now you have given another meaning to your events, to your trauma, and you can be free. And now you can even forgive yourself for having allowed you to go through that experience, forgive the abuser, even though sometimes it's completely dangerous, criminal, and crazy what happened. But... The most important is that you're here. You know, when I was raped by my father-in-law as an adult, 32 years old, I seriously thought about, once I came out a few months later, thank God I did not wait years to speak out, but still some months (laughs) to, uh, to really say what it was, the question was asked to me, are you going to press charge against him? Are you going to? bring him to court, to take him to court? Are you going to prosecute him? And I pondered and I realized that in Switzerland, when it all happened, they are nasty in terms of prosecution of rape. Nasty. They do not just embrace you and help you heal. They just want to go straight to the fact. Can you prove it? Can you prove it? Can you prove it? So what happened? Okay, do we have the word? Okay, yes, you are a victim. No, you are not. Does the, that, does the abuser actually recognize the fact? No, he doesn't. Okay, so you lie? Uh, no, <laughs> No. Knowing that environment, I renounced and I chose not to. And what I said when I chose not to what to say, at the end of the day, what matters most is that I heal. I mean, he's whatever he is may allow me to heal because that thing is the most un-understandable relationship.
1: Yeah.
0: To me, it's, it's not understandable. I cannot fathom. I still cannot fathom my mind around that.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if I ever forgave him, but I was working on it. But I still take a little bit of joy, um, and I probably have to go to confession about this, <laughs> that my little sister, when he was on his deathbed, she leaned over and whispered in his ear so that other people in the room didn't hear. God knows what you did. And that was the last thing that any of us ever said to him. And um, she said it so that he would have the fear of God in him as he died. That was her revenge. And there's something that feels like um, justice, A little bit of justice in that as he um, affected the three of our lives, and I am sure there are more uh, cousins, what have you. Um, you, and we all have moved on and he has passed away. (laughs) (laughs) There how do you top that? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how do you top that on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think of that all of the time, all yeah. of the time. Yeah. yeah. And
0: this is true, and this is true, because the true justice comes from God.
1: Yeah. And you know, whatever one believes in, it it, it um, you know. True justice comes from someplace other than ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And society's is justice is not real justice. I started to understand that over time.
1: Yeah. And this is Sometimes. the only life we have.
0: Yeah, it is. So this is why we are responsible to take care of how we live and what we choose to experience and how we heal. Right. That is on us. It's not on the government, other people,
1: DOG, or whatever. Right. And hanging on to all this stuff, whatever it be, is unhealthy. It's going to shorten your life. It's going to increase your possibility for disease, um, heart attacks, etc. And I want to live a long, fruitful life as healthy as i can be and enjoy i spent a lot of my life in a fog in dis- in dissociation um in all sorts of uh, resentments and um my youngest sister has spent her whole life and she continues to be an angry person at everything and a lot of it and my middle sister has no memories right um so you know it happened we're all in our 50s i just hit 60 am i going to carry it or am i going to say the hell with you uncle i am going to prosper and i am going to do well and i am going to help and what helps me is by helping as many people as i can heal from similar traumas so that they can have the best life possible too.
0: Beautiful. Dr. Tony, all my gratitude for you coming on the show, sharing all of that at a moment when we have more than 1 million people reach. It is absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you for opening up and for sharing those vulnerable vulnerable parts, knowing that you are safe. You do not risk anything. You risk to get a clients that you risk. But that is a good thing, right? Yes.
1: <laughs> Thank All you right. so much for inviting me.
0: It's my pleasure. All the details to reach out to you are on the description. What we can say right now is there is a website. And I believe, and I'm going to make sure. Yeah, Tony Bayer, All right.
1: Thank you so, so much.